Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Right, gang. Welcome, 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 welcome. Your Saltwater Guide with another great podcast for you today. We have a super special guest we're bringing in on a Monday. We normally don't do that, but... This hot topic we've been talking about every Monday, I think we need to get a little different perspective of what's going on with these uh, windmills. So we're going to bring in a really good friend here in a few minutes, and he's going to add a little bit more of the backstory to this windmill thing. So make sure you tune in, share this podcast with all your friends, let everybody know what we're doing here. It's your saltwater guide, the podcast. Don't forget Mondays are always sponsored by Opsin Fluorocarbon. We'll talk a little bit more about Opsin here later in the show. And then don't forget, gang, it's super important to make sure that you're a member of CCA. If you're not a member of CCA and you're standing on the sidelines complaining about all the closures and everything else that's going on out there on the water, you have no you have no right to be talking about it if you're not a member. You need to become a member of CCA. It's the only voice we have at the table for all these things, closures, and all the things they have coming down the pipe to that will adversely affect us in the fishing industry, whether you do it for a living or you do it recreational. CCA is our only voice at the table. So grab that QR code if you get a chance throughout the show there and make sure you jump on to CCA. And if you can't afford to become a member, which I don't understand, but every penny helps because what it takes to fight all this is money. Bottom line, we can't do it for free. Wayne and Chris and all the other members of CCA are out there fighting the fight every single day. And it takes money to try to keep our oceans open so we can keep fishing and enjoying what we do. So, okay, we're going to bring in my good friend, Bill, in just a second here. I want you all to pay attention to what we're talking about because this has really, really got a big effect on everything that's going on if you care about the ocean at all you'll care about what we're talking about so without any further ado let's bring in my good friend bill varney bill welcome to the show hey, great to be there hey great to thanks, see you buddy thanks for being coming in here and willing to talk about this in a couple of weeks gang we're going to have bill in here talking about surf fishing because that is he, there's no one that has more information in my fear of influence as bill as far as surf fishing goes but today we're talking about what we've been talking about. And Bill's a member of CCA. Bill is out there fighting the fight every single day, gang, that you don't even understand all the things that are going on. And this uh, windmill thing, Bill, is something that we need a little more, we need a little more light shined on it, for lack of a better word. So if you could just talk a little bit about it, let our let our viewers know what we're talking about here, because a lot of people are very interested in this and a lot of people don't understand why it's okay to kill whales, dolphins and all the other marine life just to put up a windmill. Right? Well, absolutely. You know, of course we've we've seen on the news over the last gosh couple months now all of the whales and and, and dolphins uh, that have come ashore on the east coast. I, I think that that to some respect it has brought to light 
um, you know, all this windmill action that's going to be working on the West Coast that they've already actually been working on for about a year and a half now really brought it to light because it was on the news. It's really kind of unusual. Um, and it shows you a lot about the media, how we didn't see any information about it on the West Coast yet whatsoever, but it's been worked on for at least a year and a half publicly and probably several years uh, beyond that. Um, but the federal government has put together a, 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 um, a group, I guess you'd call them, which is BOEM, which it stands for the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management. And they're directed by um, the Biden administration uh, and the federal government to go out along the coasts of the United States and put up these wind farms. Um, there are not many wind farms in, in, in the world in operation uh, offshore. There's some in the North Sea that have been somewhat successful, um, although they've had a lot of problems of their own. And now they're proposing, along with the East Coast, to put in two large wind farm areas. One will be up by Humboldt, and the other one is uh, basically just a tiny bit south of Morro Bay. And each one will be approximately 30 square miles of wind turbines. To, to supposedly generate as much as 30 gigawatts of energy. And so how much is 30 gigawatts? That, that's a lot of energy. Um, but by the same token, it's not a lot for California. So let me give you a couple examples of that. So 30 gigawatts, they are predicting, can supply electricity for one year to 1 million homes. Okay, we've done the calculation based on the gigawatts and the average use of, of electricity at homes and businesses in, in, in California. And we calculate that there'll be about, it'll be able to service about 82,000 homes. Well, that sounds like a lot of homes, doesn't it? I mean, 82, that's pretty many. Like, I wish I owned 82,000 homes. That'd be a lot of headaches, but I'd be rich. Well, how many homes are in California? About 14.2 million homes, million. So is 82,000 going to make a difference? I really don't think so. There's many more efficient ways to go about bringing energy to Southern California and Central and Northern California. Right. Now, these wind farms that you're talking about that are in operation in other countries, are they actually producing any energy? Or are they just testing them? Well, you know, they're basically testing them from the standpoint of trying to figure out you know, it's like trial and error because they don't know what the saltwater environment's going to do on their turbines and the gearbox. They don't know what it's going to do to the blades. They don't know um, if it will could consistently produce electricity because the wind might not be blowing or the turbines not might not be working. When you use natural gas, coal, or petroleum products to produce electricity, it allows you to do two things. Number one, use the full efficiency of the energy that you're using to produce the electricity. So you're using all of the natural gas. You can also use it when you need it. If you have a period of time where you have lower expectations on energy, you can use less coal. If you have a period of time where you have really hot weather and you need a lot more electricity for the state, they can, they can burn more, fuel, more coal, rather, and produce more electricity. 
But the pro and the problem in addition to that with the turbines is that there's no way of storing the electricity. That that's the thing is that when you're burning coal or natural gas, there's no reason to store the electricity. You only burn as much as you need to produce the electricity to go through the grid to power people's homes. And when that number goes down, you burn less of it. When you produce energy from solar, photovoltaic, basically, and turbines, uh, wind turbines, it has to be stored somewhere, especially at times when there's no wind or if you have photovoltaic at night. Photovoltaic cells don't produce any energy at night. But gasoline, uh, natural gas, coal can produce an energy 24 hours a day if need be. So those are some of the big differences. And, and, and yes, the question is, are those uh, in Norway and so forth, all those wind farms working? They're just not producing enough electricity to really make a difference. Right. It's pretty crazy. And then something that you said that I've been talking about for the last couple of months is the effect on these turbines of the salt air. Now, you and I have made our whole career out on the ocean. We already know what the effects of, I mean, just on your, just on your surf fishing reel, just that little reel. Right. Imagine if you didn't hose that, get all the water, salt off of that every day. What would that, that your reel would be worthless the next morning or in a week, you wouldn't have a reel. You wouldn't be able to turn the handle. <laughs> so, you're right. It would seize up like an old so Jeep. You and I, we already know this. And some of the people that are watching know, and then a lot of the people that are watching don't understand. Salt is a horrendous corrosive, just horrendous. I don't know who can make a bearing that can stand up against. It hasn't been done yet. All of a sudden now some magical bearing is going to be made and put on these giant turbines. Okay. Just for fun. How big is one of these windmills that they're, proposing to build out here okay these windmills just just let's just talk about the weight of the windmill to start with each windmill which, which is basically made up of three components blade the blade the tower and the gearbox now, now there's other components that keep it from falling over but in general that's the unit that has to be brought out those weigh in total 200 ton. For what? The blade alone. Just one. Mm -hmm. Just one. Just one is 200 ton. The blade alone is 35 ton for the blade. So think about that. How do you move that blade? How does that blade go from China, where it's produced, across the oceans, is unloaded from a ship, is put on most likely a train brought to Morro Bay or San Francisco, wherever their uh, jumping off point is, and then put on a ship and taken out and put up in the water. Uh, <laughs> it, the whole process is, is absolutely ludicrous. It's hard enough to do on land, let alone out in the middle of the ocean. Especially in an ocean that's so violent as that ocean off of Morro Bay or up off of Humboldt County. That ocean is violent like you... You guys watch Deadliest Catch? Well, that's what they're going to be trying to do is put these windmills together in that kind of ocean. Can you imagine just standing on a barge trying to put a bolt on? <laughs> I mean, these, these windmills will be 20 miles from shore. So think about that. If they had a problem with one of the, the windmills and they needed to, to fix it, the shore boat 
would take like three hours just to get to it. I mean, <laughs> you have them on shore, you can drive them to them in 20 minutes. So these are going to be 20 miles offshore. And because California has the continental shelf, I know many of you are know about the continental shelf. Unlike the North Sea, these will be, and, and, and the East Coast, it will, these will be unable to be tethered to the bottom. So they'll actually be floating units, approximately 30 miles long, several miles wide, which will be completely offshore to all boats, whether you're a sailor or a fisherman or a diver or any of those things. And then they'll have underwater cables that are tethered with weight. So they, they come off at an angle, then they're weighted, and then they go up to a buoy that will be like a dozen miles long each to tether these things into place. So they're not even on the bottom. And then these big cables, which will be stretching across the water, will obviously have an effect on the migratory um, animals like whales and dolphins and tuna and everything that would have to swim between them and hopefully not get chopped in half as, as the platform rises and falls in waves. At a rate that you and I can't even comprehend, the, the fast those waves go, they're within seconds of each other, these giant waves. And these poor animals, these poor Cal California great. Well, here, just for example, Bill, you and I are kind of older folks. We're not old, but we're older. We remember, you and I laughed about this on Friday when we were talking. When we were young, the big movement in California, at least, I don't know about the rest of the world, but we grew up in California, was save the whales. So no matter what, nothing else mattered. We needed to save the whales. Well, now it's kill the whales, no matter what. No matter what, we need green energy. Forget about the whales. You brought it up in the beginning of this. All the whales, all the dolphins that are washing up on the beach on the eastern seaboard, that has nothing to do with the amount of animals that are actually dying that never make it to the beach. Because you know the ocean is right. a, vast, a vast desert. And those whales that are showing up on the beach are not even a percentage point of the amount of whales that are being killed by these things every single day. Doesn't you, being in CCA, being in this conservation thing that let we got this shoved down our throats and we have to be a part of it because it's such a big deal. We can't, we got to be careful how we talk and all that stuff. And to think you hear all conservation, 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 but on the other side, if they just stop for a minute and look, they're going to kill so many animals to make this that can't. First of all, this can't even happen because it's not going to be the amount of money that they've already stolen from us. Because let's be honest, we are the ones that pay our taxes. That's where their money comes from. Yeah. No matter what anybody wants, it's not private money. This is our money. And uh, we're just for fun. You're on the inside. What are they saying about the whales, the dolphins, the sea lions, the, the, that are let's just talk about the ground fish that are going to be killed let's forget about the mammals mammals don't matter anymore i know what about fish fish seem to be a hot button well it does seem to be a hot button and and in um you know so the groups involved in putting this together or um discussing it the stakeholders i guess you would call them would be boem obviously uh, Ocean Protection Council, which is a council that was put together, unelected officials put together by the governor of state of California, Governor Newsom. There was the Department of Fish and Wildlife, who is, is actually the scientists in this case, and in other cases, it's the enforcers 
of the law. They're good people. We don't have anything against them. And, there, and then there is a fish and game commission. And the commission is the one who makes up the rules for bag limits and, and fish and game. In other words, for the Department of Fish and Wildlife to um, enforce the, the, um, the, the fishing committee makes up the rules for that. So there's several groups involved in it. They brought in the Department of Fish and Wildlife's biologists. They asked them for their opinion. Okay, their opinions were the following things. Number one, when those mills, when those blades are going around, it creates a vibration. That vibration will be a fish aggregator. In other words, it will attract all of the local fish, particularly the pelagic fish, to underneath all of those turbines. And by doing that, there'll be a de facto closure because you will not be able to go within miles of those. But all the fish that you're fishing for, now that you're 10 miles away, are all underneath, the, underneath those platforms. So that's one of the problems. Another major problem is the fact that all of that energy has to be tethered together and then brought in through a giant cable on the bottom of the ocean, which will be over 20 miles long. How much copper is that to bring it into basically into, into Morro Bay where, where the current um, power plant is? The fear there is that it will give off an electromagnetic impulse that they know it will that will affect sharks, all the mammals out there that, you know, the the sea lions, the dolphins, the porpoise, the gray whale, the blue whale, the orca, all of those, just like we've seen on the East Coast, will be affected by that. That's will mess up their sonar and end up very likely killing them or sending them off course where they won't be able to survive. And, and then, of course, there's a big issue about anglers, like where the anglers are going to go. So in their studies, they went back about 12 years to look at the, in particular, the pelagic fish that were known to, to frequent this area near Morro Bay, for example, um, that they were going to use for, for one of the grounds. And what they found was that there wasn't really a lot of pelagic fish there. They didn't really have any worries about that until they had public comment. And public comment was done by um, commercial anglers who had been fishing there for decades. And they came back and they said, if you look at our logs that we're required by law to keep for commercial fishing, you can see that 20 years ago, 22 years ago, some of our greatest fishing for bluefin, yellowfin, and albacore was right in that area. And why was it there? Because that's a historic area for them to spawn. So they're going to put these right on top of one of the greatest tuna spawning areas, certainly in, in the Pacific, uh, on the West Coast, of anywhere. And they really had zero concern about that. They just moved on to the next subject. Wow. It's not something they want to talk about. Wow. And we see, that's why I'm so happy that you're here with us today, because we never even talked about that, gang. When I was talking about this and what, it, we never talked about the spawning grounds for the albacore and the bluefin and the yellowfin. That never even crossed our minds. But then there's so much other things like the ground, the ground fish, all the bottom fish, all the fish that live out yeah. there. But another thing, this is going to be set in 3,000 to 4,000 feet of water. Co co try to comprehend that, gang. Thinking of dropping, just for fun, just dropping a line down 3,000 feet to try to get your weight to hit the bottom. How much line is that going to take? Because it isn't going to go straight down. It's going to get caught in the currents and all that crap. And then you're thinking they're going to plant. What are they going to hold these things with? 
some new thing that I've never heard of. Yeah, like I said, they're basically going to use a weighted buoy system, which has been used in Australia for um, oil derricks that float. And, and I've seen it used off of Brazil and Venezuela also. Um, and, and it does move. There's no doubt it has to be retethered and it moves. Now, it doesn't float like a boat does across the surface because it's tethered with these heavy weights that are maybe 2,000 feet down out of the 3,000 foot bottom there. But there's no way of like securing them to the sea bottom. And they'll just be flipping around out there, especially if the swell is big. Oh, my gosh. So these things get dragged right into Santa Barbara. They could drag. Well, I would hope not, but who knows? There's, there has been no, it's never been done before. This is the largest employment of, of wind turbines in the world ever. So rather than doing it in a smaller area and trying to figure out what works, what doesn't work before they spend literally trillions of U.S. taxpayers' money, they're just jumping right in, going full nuts on it, hoping it works out. What a way to run a business. That is incredible. Hold on one second, gang. Hey, Opsin Floral Carbon, big sponsor of the show, Greg and the the guys over at Opsin Floral Carbon. I talk about Opsin all the time. If you're going to use floral carbon, and, and I believe in my heart, you should always have a piece of line that's clear. Opsin is a clear floral carbon. I know they sell pinks and blues and reds and green floral carbon. That doesn't make sense to me because I was always told when we're tying on a piece of floral carbon, it's so that the fish can't see it. That's what I was told since I was a little kid. And then the abrasion resistance also, but it's also to make it clear. That's that's why I believe Opsin is such a bitchin' product. That's why I support Opsin 100%. And if you guys want to purchase this Opsin Floral Carbon, just grab this QR code I'm about to flash up on the screen. Go over to Opsin USA. And by grabbing this QR code, you're going to save 10% on your, on your floral carbon. You're going to get it shipped straight to your house, but you're going to save 10% on your floral carbon. You're going to buy floral carbon anyway. So check out Opsin. He's got every kind of size that you could imagine from from I think 12 pound up to 130 pound is what I saw in his catalog the other day. Check it out. And then we're going to give away one free spool of Opsin Floral Carbon today to Kristen Rowe. Kristen Rowe, you just won. You were the one that we Kelly picked out of the hat. You won a spool. So I already got you and John's address. We're going to send you out a spool of Floral Carbon. It should get to your house next week sometime. Thank you, Chris, Kirsten, very, very much for checking out the website. Thanks for always going there. Gang, whoever checks out the website this week, just by going in through the QR code, Elliot's able to track who you are, and we're going to give away another free spool next Monday. And check out Opsin USA for those of you that aren't watching on YouTube or Facebook. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple or, Apple or Megaphone, when you're in there, put in the code YSWG. That'll save you 10%, plus that'll get you entered into the contest to win the free spool of line. All right, thank you very much. All right, so back to what we were talking about. So they've really, honestly, Bill, you've been involved in this thing for like almost seven years. You've been watching what's going on, and there's been no talk. This thing got sprung on to me about eight months ago by my, uh, can't say, but by my, somebody near and dear to me turned me on to this and said, Hey, you need to start talking about this on your podcast because they're running this thing right down, right down our throat behind our backs and no one knew. And until I started talking about it on the podcast, none of my viewers had even heard of it. 
And now you can start to trickle out little bits and pieces of it on YouTube and stuff. But basically, the deal's already been made, right? They already leased the water. They already leased yeah. the water. Big the, the, the lease the leases happened in the June. Already been, last, last June. The money's already been taken out of you and I's account and everybody else that's listening. They already took our money. They already took the money in there. Do you think... I was thinking of this when you were talking earlier. Do you think this might be something like the bullet train? <laughs> there's no question about it. There's absolutely no question. As a matter of fact, the bullet train might be a better investment <laughs> because it's on land and yep, all. But everything has uh, gone and no one even talks about it anymore. And that was billions of our dollars. Yeah. Billions. Yep. Billions of dollars and piles of raw materials laying around, private property that was either eminent domain or purchased with tax dollars that's sitting idle, halfway built stations. I mean, we could see the same thing happen. I don't know exactly. Um, I presume they're going to use some of these Norwegian experts on building some of this stuff. So it might work for a few weeks till the first big swell comes in. Um, but other than that, but yeah, there's a couple more things yeah, if I, I can, Dave. If you could, uh, know. if you can bear with my soapbox, if bear with my soapbox a little bit more here. So I, I want everybody out there. When you think of 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 wind turbines, I want three words to always pop into your mind: made in China. Okay, is there a reason for you to send your money to China? What, what has China done for you lately? Did they give you COVID? Did they take your relatives, the Uyghurs, and, and, and make them slaves to build tennis shoes for you? I mean, how, how many lists of things can I go over that not the Chinese people who are good people, but the government of China has done? So why, why are we sending money to China? These uh, towers, and in particular the blades, are not made in the United States. They're not manufactured here. We don't have the production capability or the raw materials to make them. So they're made in China. And the ironic thing about it is we're using this green energy, right? This, this renewable energy. And why are we doing that? Because it reduces our carbon footprint. Well, these blades, these gigantic blades that weigh 35 tons are made out of carbon fiber, which is not biodegradable. When they get rid of these blades, like when they crack, and they have to get rid of them because they're too dangerous. They don't spin correctly. They're balanced in a certain manner, and they wouldn't work, so they'd have to take it down and replace the thing. It goes to a landfill. And you know what buries it in a landfill? The largest bulldozer ever built. That's how big they are. That's how heavy they are. They are the length of probably like 10 or 15 cars in length, some of these things. So they have no way of recycling them. They're made in China. And that's just really the beginning of the subject. Let's talk about batteries. So when you're using natural gas to produce energy, you don't need batteries to store the energy you produced because you can turn it on and turn it off as you need to use it. That's not the case with renewable energy sources like uh, wind and solar. They have to store that. So where do they store? They store it in batteries. Well, what kind of battery would store 30 gigawatts? Big battery, yeah. really big. So, <laughs> so they began testing those batteries. They've been tested actually all over the world. Um, Elon Musk's company, 
Tesla makes most of these batteries that will be used. I have nothing against uh, Elon Musk or, or Tesla. They're just trying to make a living out there. So what they did was to begin to test them on the West Coast. They built a facility in Moss Landing, which is just north of uh, Monterey. It's between Monterey and Santa Cruz on the water. Excellent jumping off spot for albacore fishing and stripers. Um, and so they built a facility there. They put the batteries in inside this facility before the batteries could even be uh, turned on to be tested for the first time. They started on fire and luckily they had a suppression system that took literally weeks for, for this facility for the fire to be put out where they lost millions and millions of dollars. So that's not the first time that's happened. All over the world, these fires have started from lithium batteries. In Australia, for example, it burned for three months and killed two firefighters. It took 235 firefighters to put out a battery bank that was smaller than the one at Moss Landing. It's happened in many places all around the world. You never hear about it. As a matter of fact, I learned about this. If you can believe this, check this out. I learned about it in this newspaper. And it's backwards on my screen, but it says Estero Bay News. This is the throwaway newspaper from Central California, from Morro Bay. This is the throwaway newspaper that was the only one who talked about how the batteries started on fire up there. And so their brilliant idea in California is to take the um, decommissioned power plant that's in Morro Bay right on the water and convert it to the, to a gigantic battery bank where these 30 gigawatts would go through right across the street from the ocean, right across the street from otters. What if that starts on fire? What if some of the chemicals elements in lith the lithium batteries get into the ocean? What are they going to do about that? And, and that's just the beginning of the problem. Let's talk about the batteries themselves. What are lithium batteries made out of? Well, they're made out of unique minerals like lithium and cobalt. Well, let's take lithium. Are there any lithium mines in the United States? No, there's permits for one to be in, in Nevada. Maybe someday that will come about. But there are quite a few of them in Australia. And when you look at a lithium mine, it is one of the most polluting mines ever. They strip mine and then they take these huge ponds which are full of chemicals, which they allow the lithium to settle from those. And then that's where the lithium was removed from. So the lithium mine itself is incredibly polluting. It makes a coal mine look like, you know, a, a walk at Disneyland's Main Street, just a beautiful amalgamation of whatever. But that's just the beginning. Think about the cobalt. Where does the cobalt come from in the world? 90% of the cobalt used in batteries and electric cars in your phone, and in these battery banks that they're going to use, and they're going to use a lot of it, comes from the Congo, all right? That's in Africa. Who owns those? Does the government in the Congo own the cobalt mines? No. 80% of the mines in the Congo are owned by China. Wow. And what does China do? Does China provide colleges and train people to be miners and supply them with the best equipment? No, they do not. They use child laborers. Small black boys and girls die by the dozens every week working in the cobalt mines. So how do you feel if you have an electric car 
or you support turbines when it takes the life of children that you say that you're here to support in order to make that energy? Is that energy more important than at least one life? So these are, there are many, many things when it comes down to these turbines that are negatives and that we should have said no long ago before all of this tax money of ours was spent. Yeah, but they did it behind our backs. We didn't even know it was happening. There was no way to find out it was happening. That's the sad thing about this. And then, you know, I thought the more I listen to you, the more the more I get upset to my stomach and the more it just pisses me off because I thought it was a big deal to kill these whales and to kill these dolphins and to kill all the sea life out there. And then we haven't even scratch the surface of the poor little birds that their whole life starts up there all the birds that make it so we can find fish all over yep. the place we haven't even talked about them but now you're letting me know the real down and dirty nasty part of this whole green energy thing which is just absolutely not even close to what they tell you it is it's the most filthiest way to produce energy ever it's so sad that they got everybody so bamboozled. And I know the people that are should hear this show or should listen or should, they're never going to watch. They're never going to pay attention to any of it. They keep their head in the sand and they just drive around in their, their electric cars and drink their $9 cup of brown water and they don't care. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So as you were inside of CCA watching all these things and gang, like Bill and I, We'll talk to you all day, every day about CCA. CCA is the only, Bill's getting some backdoor inside information because like I keep telling you, CCA is the only voice we have at the table, gang. All this shady stuff going on, it, the only way we really know is from CCA, right? You guys are the only one. That's exactly on right. We would, never, we would never know otherwise. They would do it all behind our back. They would come out just like the MLPAs were uh, 15 years ago and say, we want public comment when they'd already made a decision and they just did it for the, yeah. And they were just doing it to, to cover their bases. They're required to have public comment. They're not required to listen to it. They're not required to act on it. They're not. And we talked about this the other day. They're not required to have any type of discussion whatsoever with the public. That, that's the thing. They, they want you to come and make a comment. But you can't have a comment like, hey, Mr. Commissioner, what do you think about this? They, they won't let you have a conversation. It's all about you making a statement and then getting down from the microphone and then moving on to the next yeah, person. Yeah, they gave us each 30 seconds, which was absolutely ridiculous. You can't talk about it for 30 seconds. How many meetings did I go to and you went to? And they're like, we stood in that line. Stood in this long yeah. line to do your 30 seconds. And you don't... And by the time we get our chance to get up there, you've listened to all these other zip face kids coming up there that know nothing about nothing that it got 30 seconds and took up all of the time. And you're so pissed off by the time you get there, you can't even remember what you were supposed to say. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> really? that, was the most, that was the most brutal thing I've ever gone through. And that's when I got to really see how shady this whole thing is and how – I'm just glad we have a voice at the table. And once again, gang, I want you to see that QR code. That's how you can donate to CCA. It's super important. Bill, talk a little bit about CCA while we're looking at this and what you guys are doing out there because you're in the inside with Wayne. You're up there. You're doing You're going to all these meetings. You're doing all this stuff. I just talk about it, but you're out there doing it. 
Well, you know, CCA is a national organization that started in Texas. It's in 19 states. Um, there's a couple of landlocked states that are members, but most of the states are every state around the uh, eastern board and, and the Pacific Coast and the Gulf. Every one of those states is a member. And they fight in their individual states for federal rights and, and for their state rights. And, and believe it or not, whether you're Tennessee or you're Massachusetts or you're California, or your Seattle, or Washington, rather, or Oregon, or whatever, they all have issues. California probably has the most issues, um, and it's got the most money to fight against, and it's got the most uh, NGOs, which would be, uh, is a very nice uh, word for our enemy, for, for people that are environmentalists who don't look at it reasonably, don't want to be conservationists, just want to close everything. So CCA tries to figure out what all of the different issues are and then go out and represent the angler, the saltwater angler on retaining their rights. But in addition to that, we do so much more. We introduce kids to fishing. We have the hatchery system for, for white sea bass. Uh, we have, we support HSWRI, Hub Sea World Research Institute, which has been around since 1961, not only helping hundreds of thousands of animals and allowing them, putting them back into the environment um, that were injured or, or hurt, but doing all kinds of studies that we use on a, a regular basis to determine how to manage the, the resource. Um, so CCA does quite a bit, and there's ways that you can support. You can certainly be a volunteer there. You can join. It's $40 a year to join. That's nothing. It comes with a great Tide magazine, comes four times a year with articles from all around the country of different types of fishing. That's really interesting. And then a really great way in what I do, in addition to, I, I'm actually a life member, which is $1,000, and you become a life member. But in addition to that, I give monthly. So you can easily go on the site. You can look under their monthly giving program. It can be done through PayPal, Zenmo, directly out of your checking account, a credit card. And you can go and say, hey, I want to donate $5 a month. They're just going to automatically take out five bucks. I'm never going to think about it. Look, if you donate $10 a month, that's only $120 a year to have your fishing supported and most likely saved for you and your grandkids down. I mean, what do you spend $120 on in a month? Uh, chewing gum? I mean, coffee's more than that. So there's an easy way to donate. As I said, that's a really great way to do it because I just do it. It just automatically comes out of there. I never even think about it. Such a small amount, $10 a month. So go to CCACalifornia.org. You'll be able to find, just like by scanning the code, you'll be able to go right on the site, figure out how you can participate with CCA, either becoming a member of one of their chapters and going to their meetings, volunteering for different events. We, you can go out on hatchery trips where we let hatchery fish out. We've got some trips coming up at the end of the summer where we work with scientists out of, out of uh, Santa Barbara to go into closed um, uh, marine life protection areas and catch fish there, although it's catch and release. We catch them, they're weighed, measured and all that so they can gather scientific evidence we're always looking for people to help us with that. So, so much you can do with CCA. So, yeah, go over to the website, gang. To grab that QR code, take you right into the website. You'll see all the cool things Bill's talking about. And it's super important for all of us to be involved in it. If you, like you said, if you're even, maybe you don't fish. Maybe you're just watching the show trying to figure out what's going on with these windmills. But I guarantee you someone in your, your fear of influence 
goes fishing or maybe your kids or your grandkids want to do it one day. Well, if we don't fight this thing, none of us are going to get to go fishing anymore. They don't want us going outside. That's just the sad reality of the thing. And I can't, I've gone to some of the meetings with Wayne and I've gone, I used to go with my dad and I, I don't have a filter and I don't have a shutoff valve. So for me in there, I just get so frustrated and I end up opening my mouth and I have to leave because I just can't stand that bureaucratic rigmarole crap that they try to feed us. That's all lies. The lies are just mind buying. But back to this windmill thing, these things out there where Bill's talking about that area, that's the hatch, that's the spawning grounds for the tuna. That's also one of the most important areas for seabirds. There is a phenomenal amount of bait out there. Just like you can't even comprehend the amount of bait. Like the whole ocean is bait. And that because of that bait, that's why those tuna go there to spawn. But the bird life is absolutely mind boggling. One of these windmill platforms are going to devastate that population of shearwaters up there. Billions of shearwaters, not millions, billions of shearwaters that's their world out there. That's where they that's where they do all their work and they're going to get decimated. Not counting all the other stuff we talked about. No one's even talking the Audubon Society should be in this thing a thousand percent if they were who they say they are. All these cetacean societies and all these environmentalists if they really were what they say they were, they would be on this show talking about this because it's a travesty to life. Right, Bill? It, it really is. Uh, you know, here's the bottom line. On land, there's in, in the recent years, there's been over 120 documented deaths of eagles in the United States. 120 eagles have died being hit by the wind, windmill turbines and, and blades. And so nobody says anything about it. I mean, go to the Internet and try to find that. It's hard to find. So you can't imagine on the open ocean where you have all these seabirds going in different directions, chasing food. They don't know a turbine from a cloud to a boat. You know, they don't know the difference between one or, or, or the other. So it's really problematic above the water. It's problematic below the water. And, and another thing we haven't talked about is the infrastructure for these. Mike Rowe did a really interesting show on unload on longshoremen basically and the one they did they were unloading one of these blades which was it was it was unbelievable and the the cost of them can't remember how much it was it, it was lots um so in order for these blades to be moved let's just say for example from the dock to 20 miles offshore us as taxpayers will have to have the government God, that's scary to think about build brand new ships that are built specifically for putting these up. They can't take an old boat and put the thing on it and go stick it up somewhere. They can't get a boat and retrofit it. They're going to have to build multi, multi-million dollar vessels in order to be able to move these giant things and then have the cranes in order to lift them into place. And then on shore, the port will have to be a special port and that port will have to be able to handle the size of the ship that's required and once again have a very very large and probably several of them crane system 
that's near a train rail in order to drop these onto the ships. So it's not one of those things where you go down to Costco, you pick up some hamburgers and hamburger buns, you jump on the boat, you go in the harbor and you, you barbecue a couple of hamburgers. It is some very complicated stuff behind this. And they don't talk about any of it particularly the two most important things, which I had asked BOM in my public comment period numerous times, is this economically feasible? Let, let's forget about killing the fish and killing the birds and, and taking basically 100 square miles out of service for anglers and divers and, and sailors and all that. Let's forget about all that stuff. What about the, just the simple idea of you know, whether it's going to work and whether it's economically feasible and they will not answer that question they they will just they just move on to the next person and that's the end of that it. is crazy because if you think of all the things you just talked about not one of those things is going to be accomplished without fossil fuel not one that's exactly right there's no train like think there's about no train, no yeah think about bringing the blades sailing the blades from china to san francisco how much fuel is that well let me give you an idea of how much fuel that is if you have a super tanker in uh, an Arabian port and you're bringing that super tanker to Houston, which is, which is where the refineries are, many of the refineries in the U.S., that takes 62,000 gallons of diesel each way. 62,000. So just to get that ship back and forth, you're using about 130,000 gallons of diesel, dirty diesel. So how is that helping the environment? I, I'm confused on all this <laughs> stuff. You are. I wonder how many blades can you fit on these ships that haven't even been built yet? <laughs> they haven't even yeah, let's not get the cart before the horse uh, here. Just like Gavin last year or two years ago when we were fighting that uh, tier four engines, he wanted us to put on the boats that haven't even – there's no such thing. He wants, he wants exactly. an engine on our sport boats or on any – commercial vessels, sport boats, tugboats, any boat. He wants an engine on there that they haven't even invented yet, okay? And he's already made this a law that is going to go into effect by such and such a date. It's just the most ludicrous thing ever. I, I uh, just makes you want to puke. It's, you wonder if he, who thinks? Like, it would take a 10-year-old uh, 50, you know, 30 seconds on Google to figure out that there's no such thing out there. You know, why did, so CARB comes out, California Air Resources Board, and they say, hey, we're going to make all of these commercial boats out of San Diego to start with all of California, ultimately, to have these tier four engines that are not even invented yet. But when that meeting was over and they had rescinded some of that from the standpoint of saying, we're going to give you a couple more years time for, for some brilliant person to come up and invent it in the meantime, a lot of people tuned out of that. And so after lunch, when that meeting of CARB resumed, that, so that was about five months ago now, they came out and they said, in addition to that, you know, and of course, we're going to do all the commercial boats. And then when all, all the commercial boats are converted to electricity or whatever their thing is, um, it'll be all the private ones. So that means that everybody with an outboard motor, whether you're going in a lake or the ocean or whatever, you're not going to be able to have an outboard motor that uses gasoline. It's going to have to be electric. What they didn't, people didn't hear was after they announced all that later in the day, they said, there's another two things we're going to eliminate in California by 2030 and 2035. Number one, no refineries. 
All what? the refineries will be close in California, and the closest refinery will be in Arizona, which means by 2031, all the gas you guys buy in San Diego and Santa Barbara and Los Angeles and Orange County will be imported in an 8,800-gallon truck from Arizona. You think gas is expensive now? Wait till the gas stations start going out of business. And then the second thing they told us is that by 2035, California will close every one of its cement plants. So if you want cement in California and, and you can't mix it yourself, you're going to have to drive to Arizona or Nevada to get cement. So there's all kinds of crazy stuff that they have talked about and they're working on. It's all behind your back. They're not doing anything to have public comment or discussions. or So they're going to make up their mind on what they're going to do. Wow. And then they're going to say, okay, we're going to have public comment. And you're going to say, wow, this is a bad idea. And they're going to say, well, the, the, you know, the horse has already left the barn and there's nothing we can do about it now. That is so unbelievable. And if we didn't have you sitting here with us explaining this to us, none of us would even know this was coming down. That's absolutely unbelievable. That is so unreal, gang. This is just, oh, this is very eye-opening, very awakening. So, Bill, I want to thank you so much for your time, for being here with us, for enlightening all of us to know what's going on. We're going to move into a different realm now. And Bill, I appreciate your time. If you want to listen to Justin, he's one of my guides. We bring him in every Monday at the end of the show to talk. He's out on the water right now fishing, and he's going to talk about what they've caught. He's been out for the last four days. So if you want to listen, we're going to bring him in. If you, What do you think? You want to check it out? You bet I'm okay, going to listen. Bring in Come on. Justin, are you there? Justin. Come on. Hello. There he is. What's going on out there? How you there? doing? Hey, Dave. What's going on? Hey, fishing. Tim. What are you doing? We're fishing for some rockfish. All right. Can't find any conditions up close, so we resorted to come out here and catch something. Okay. Well, we got a lot of people watching, wondering what's going on out on the water. You've been out for the last four days. What are you seeing? What's going on? Yeah. You've been catching anything? Oh, yeah. We've been getting... Pretty much everything. The uh, islands, Catalina is fishing pretty good right now. Um, almost all the spots are really good as long as you can find conditions. Okay. And then uh, the bluefin was up in mid channel up north near Marina del Rey and it went missing. Okay. There were, we seen them there one day. Uh, seen them for about an hour, then they were gone. They're still out offshore. You'll everyone will find all the spots on your saltwater guide of exactly where they're at. Um, there's big ones and small ones mixed in. Um, there's also some yellowfin and bluefin, the 20 to 40 pound range scattered all over. Same thing, your saltwater guide. Um, look at the game plans. They will tell you exactly where they're at, exactly to the T. Um, San Clemente Island is doing pretty good on yellowtail on the front side as well. On the reports and the game plans, that'll show you exactly where they're at. And Catalina, again, has just been phenomenal. Um, San Diego, I'm out here today. Um, we are just out about, we're about 200 feet of water. We're not out too far. We're catching a bunch of reds. And uh, inshore, we can't find any current anywhere. There's no current. That's a big thing. So we got, we got a bass, a bass this morning, right? Bass. Bass this morning. Um, then we got 
Um, oh yeah, we lost two lings, really big lings. On that spot, I and gave uh, what's on that? that spot that I told you to go check out? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, I lost two really big ones right there. They rocked us immediately. Yeah. And then uh, we got a, a big salmon. Well, oh, I said you only get a couple bites, like I told you. If you don't capitalize yeah. on them, it's over. Yeah, and it, oh, well, you have two seconds to pull them out, and then it's they're gone. Yep. So you'll see the guys in the back right here. You guys hooking up? A minute ago, when you're you guys were talking, they were catching them left and right. Oh, Bill and I were seeing it on the screen, but <laughs> we were solving so the world's funny. we were solving the world's problems. Justin, they couldn't break off. Yeah. We were right. So yeah. So just yeah. Justin, real quick. You got, yes. I know you're busier than heck, and I know you're busy, and I know we're going into August now. Do you got anything for any of these folks? Because I I still got a couple guys called me today looking for a guy, but I know you're busier than heck. If anybody wants Justin to come with them on their boat, this is Tim and is out there today. Tim's a big, big, uh, your saltwater guide fan, big member of the yeah, team for a long time. His uh, father-in-law was my mentor growing up, Mel Bacon. Tim wanted to make sure that he was doing everything right. So he brought Justin with him on his boat today. Justin's a hired guide. Gang, the thing about the hired guide is we are licensed by the California Fish and Wildlife. It's real, real, real simple. If you want to find out if we're like the guys you're paying your hard-earned money to, if they're licensed or not, you can look it right up on the internet. Right, Justin? Yes, you can. It's very, very simple. Can... There is a phenomenal amount of scumbags out there taking you out on your boat right now, charging you yep. money to go fish with them, and they don't have a license. They're not licensed. They're doing it backdoor, shady scumbags. We can keep... There it is. There's Justin's license. But you can go see your saltwater guide. I have three licensed guides that work for me every single day that go with you on your boat, teach you how to fish on your boat. The rest of them are scumbags, just scumbags. And if you don't know who they are, if you've given someone your hard-earned money to come with you on your boat, real quick, just look them up. It's on the Fish and Wildlife's website. I'll tell you if they're a saltwater guide. There's only a handful of us that are legal, and the rest of them are scumbags. And I'll give you a list of all the yep. scumbags if you want. Just call me on the side, and I'll tell you who they are. But, Justin, give everyone your phone number real quick that are watching. We're going to jump off of here. Bill's got a couple more things to tell me about, and we're yep. going to get going. Yeah, phone number 951-703-9442. And one thing real quick, you'll know if someone's a licensed guide or not, because when they get on your boat, they will have to fill this information out right here for Department of Fish and Game. It may ask you a couple of personal questions, but it's just what we have to do. So, yeah. Yeah, we got to clean up this scumbag situation out here on the water. When this We're hooked up again. I don't know if you can see that right there. Oh, good. Let's wait. <laughs> We're going to stand by for a minute. We got a big hookup live. Who? There is no other That's podcast it. in America where you can watch them catch fish. What's that? Came off? Oh, it's, it's a dink. It's a small one. There you go. You don't get to see it? There. You see it? Yeah. Show it up right Perfect. here. Perfect. There you go, gang. <laughs> there, there you go. go. Big <laughs> that looks like a couple of fish tacos to me. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Justin. Thank oh, you yeah. very much. All right. Thanks, everyone. Have a
Oh, there you go. That was cool, huh? Yeah, that was great. Cool. So, gang, Bill's got a lot on his plate, a lot going on. Bill and I are going to be together. We're going to be at that phenomenal dinner. And I think there's still, I was talking to Doug from Akuma this morning. I think there's still a few tickets available if you want to join us for this phenomenal dinner. I got a QR. There it is. Check this out. Talk about this for one second. The Anthony Shea Co Lifetime Conservation Award. Oh, this is the this is the most awesome thing. You know, um, several years ago during a board meeting, Bill Shedd and Bill Shedd is and many people don't know Bill, but uh, such a good guy. Um, he's the owner of AFCO. His dad was Milton Shedd, who started uh, was one of the partners to start SeaWorld and build all kinds of boats and do all kinds of stuff. And then Bill came along and Bill has literally spent his entire life. Uh, working on conservation and advocacy for your right to fish. And he's just a fabulous guy. And in a meeting, um, a board meeting, probably about eh, six years ago, maybe, he brought up the idea that we have this award that we give away once a year to the top, what we believe the top conservationist would be in the state of California. And of course, the minute he said that, I was like, oh my gosh, if anybody deserves this, Bill Shedd does. I mean, but you can't give it to yourself, you know, as the first award or so. And we vote on it. You know, he wouldn't be giving it to himself, but but still. So we're about maybe four or five years into it. Your dad um, was the recipient of it last year. And of course, your dad also spent his entire life advocating for the anglers, for your right to fish, for um, healthy marine environments, all, all of the great things that we would want them to do. So Bill will be the recipient of this. That will be on Thursday night, August 3rd. There'll be a cocktail party at Hub SeaWorld Research, which if you haven't gone there, it's totally awesome. And they'll take you on a tour and you can see like, 30 pound yellowtail swimming around in a big pool, whole bunch of how big halibut, the way that they feed them, how they spawn, all that stuff. It's really cool. And then after the cocktail party, you'll hop on the gondola and you'll go over to SeaWorld and they'll have a full dinner there for you. And that's where the presentation I believe will be made. So we're really looking forward to it. Anybody who wants to go, ccacalifornia.org or, or um, take a picture of scan the, the code and, and you're right there. It's going to be a great time. And really all of the interesting people in the fishing world um, of the presidents of the different companies and the landings and, and skippers and deckhands and all kinds of cool people are going to be there. And like, it's a great environment. There's no like, Oh, I'm in this group or this guy's better than me. Everybody has fishing in common and we love it. And that's what we're going to be talking about. Yeah. You don't want to miss a gang. Just the fact that you get to go to hubs and see the back, ground of what's going on at hubs and see all the the real cool thing when you go to hubs is like bill is saying this has been around since the the concept of sea world the whole idea of the whole thing with sea world it was all about conservation and figuring out why fish do what they do and you're going to get to see all that and then the really cool thing we get to go to sea world after hours and have dinner with everybody how bitching is that and every single penny goes to cca so all the food, all the, the raffle prizes, the silent auction, everything has been donated. Food, everything, drinks, everything. And all the money that's going to be raised goes straight to CCA. What a wonderful, what a wonderful thing to be involved in. 
Absolutely. Just a great thing and and lots of fun. Yeah, Kelly Girl and I are flying up just for that. We fly up on Wednesday and we fly home on Friday morning. We're just coming up just for this dinner. It's going to be super fun. I can't wait. I'm excited. I want to thank you very much, Bill, for being a part of this show and enlightening all of us a little bit more about this travesty that's already underway. And there's not there's not a lot we can do except inform. It's pretty much hands are That's tied, right. but it would be nice to know where all this garbage is going and all your money's going and what it's all about. That's what we're trying to do here, gang, is just enlighten you a little bit, let you know the decisions have all been made. The backdoor handshakes have all been made. The money's all been transferred around all our taxpayer money. This shit, this stuff's don't cuss. This has already been decided just like MLP, but it's just nice to know what's going on. Right. It, it is, and it's important to know what's going on. There's a, not a lot you can do, but what you can do is you can join CCA, A, and then B, you can vote. I mean, we can't get up there and tell them what to do, but we can certainly send a message as anglers and vote for people who believe in the things that we believe in. So that, that's what our future is going to bring. As CCA comes together with more ideas about how to fight against this, we'll get that information out to you so we can hopefully get together, gang up on them and, and make things move in our direction. Well, thank you very, very much again. Thank everybody. Thanks for being a part of CCA. Thanks for watching our show every day. We'll have another good show for you tomorrow. Tuesday, we're going to talk about all the all the stuff that's going on out on the water, the fishing and everything else like we do every Tuesday. So thank you, everybody. Thank you, Bill, for being a part of the show. And uh, that we're going to say goodbye now, gang. Thanks. We did this for a whole hour. I can't believe the hour is over. That was a quick hour. Thank you very, very much, everybody. All right. See ya.